is the appropriate hymn for our message this morning, which is about the church, but Christ has only one church. And so let's read in Ephesians 2, 11 through 18, all about that, or at least what God has to show us from this portion of his holy word. Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Let's pray. Father, we ask for you to enlighten us by your Holy Spirit, who indwells the hearts of your people, and that we would be edified, that we may be built up, even as we are the edifice of the Holy Spirit, the habitation of God through the Spirit, even the church of the living God. We are a humble part of that, and we give you thanks and praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Gentiles is a term for the nations, or the world, which would, of course, incorporate, include Israel. The world before Jesus came was a broken and a shattered world from the very start. According to verse 11, it speaks to how even socially the world is in shambles, always with wars and rumors of wars, characterizing generation after generation after generation. Circumcision, the circumcision as it's described here, are, of course, those who use that as the mark of their of distinction, the trademark of the Jews. The Jews who look down on the rest of the world for being unbelievers. They called them even derogatory terms like dogs. This is an example. Yes, even this. The people of God is an example of alienation and division that went on in the world. 
Mankind suffers from this to the present day. It affects us on every level. And I'm not talking just about the Jews and the Gentiles, but all of us, finally. Divorce is an area that, well, divorce is what has invaded the very cornerstone of society, the marriage. As a result, also families are divided. And the forces that be even encourage that. Our society is so fractured by conflict and division and alienation. And though our more recent in history technology has made us like a global village with the ability to reach out and touch someone, as you have probably heard somewhere, and thus brought us together without our actually being in the same proximity, like in the same room, so that we could even, through social media or through the internet, come in on a meeting without actually being there. Yet, for all of that, where are we? Have we come any closer to the goal of peace on earth, goodwill toward men? Even look at the social media, how it's so easy, yes, to get good things from it. Even to get the word, to have the word published in, in that way that the world has not seen in its history until more, more recently. And yet, to also see promoted through the social media different and even warring individuals and groups who have their own agendas, who compete one against the other for this. Satan uses division in his attempt to conquer nations like our own. As our Lord says, a house divided against itself shall not stand. We've seen this in our own history from the time of the Civil War, when our president then, Abraham Lincoln, quoted this very scripture. A house divided against itself shall not stand. And not only socially, but spiritually, according to verse 12, how it says here that we have no hope and are without God in the world. When you are without Christ, you don't have God. The truth is that the nations of the world, Jews and Gentiles, all started out without God. The Bible says, the Apostle Paul teaches in Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man, and that is Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. According to the Apostle Paul in our passage, the Gentiles, again, is representative of all of us, even Jews and Gentiles, if I, if I may go so far as to say, are in a wretched condition in the following ways. One, they are without Christ. They are without the Savior. And even we who are in Christ, who have Christ, at one time were without the Savior. They are without a kingdom. It speaks there about how they are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. 
The commonwealth of Israel was what's called a theocracy. That means a government by God. God was on the throne. Yahweh was the king on earth. Worse yet, the rest of the world who are without Christ are outside of the kingdom of God. And even the Jews who rejected Jesus and put him on the cross were likewise. They were without promise. Strangers from the covenants of promises, of promise. Covenants, plural, because they were a series of covenants all pointing to one, and that is the covenant of grace. God promised the Hebrews first, and through them, the world, heaven. He promised them a seed. He promised them land of their own, and all this to point to something greater. And it says in Hebrews eleven sixteen, and now they desire a better country, speaking again of the Jews, that is unheavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Most of mankind, I'm speaking from observation, are without the spiritual promises found in the word. For if you are in Christ, all the promises of God are yea and amen unto the glory of God in you and in me. Peter says, wherefore are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Imagine the deliverance that is, that is provided for the children of God. And not just in heaven, but even now on earth as we become the kind of people that are the people of God. Of God, the kind of people that characterizes God, a holy people. And also, because they're without that promise, again, going back to this wretched condition that the world is in, they're thus without hope. Psalm 42, David in Psalm 42 asks, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He is with. Uh, I'll just say he's giving a soliloquy. He's giving, uh, in this case, a speech uh, uh, which is uh, directed to himself, directed to his soul. He is, he is counseling himself, if you will. He says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me, O my soul? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. David had the Lord to resort to. And thus David hoped in God. If you are a Christian, you have the Lord to resort to. And thus you are with a hope that will not make you ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given unto you. Do you realize what you have that the world does not have? No wonder so many folks out there are in such desperate straits who are beside themselves, who are literally pulling the hairs out of their head or off their beards. In the sense that they don't have an answer. And sometimes their anxiety leads to worse depression. And we know the outcome of that. Medication. That's the world's solution. That's the world's answer. That's what those who are 
mentally ill, those who are physiologically and psychologically troubled, are given as the end all. And yet we know, and even they will admit, that it is not. Why do we have so many spiritual problems of the heart and of the mind and of the soul? And you know what the Hebrew or the Greek is for soul? Psyche. That's where we get psychology. And yet the very psychologists and psychiatrists of our day are not even any closer to ministering to the soul. For they leave the word of God completely out of the picture of their therapies. And so what we have left is demented and divided and destroyed human beings, souls that are literally just languishing, ready to die. Finally, these are without God. And that's where it all starts. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. This is what we think of God. We bring him down to our level instead of rising up to his. What an accurate picture of God. And thus, what an accurate picture of reality and of the world that we live in. But what about the world after Jesus came? What about it? According to our passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Ye who are sometimes or at one time afar off. Meaning that these who are in the world at the coming of Christ were far away from God. As far away as you can be. As far away as the east is from the west, the Bible says. Once upon a time, they were far from the people of God. The remnant of Israel. Where it speaks about in verse 14, with a middle wall of partition between us. That little middle wall of partition will keep you from seeing what is on the other side. Will keep you from going to the other side. Now there were... There were some God-fearers, as they were called, such as the Ethiopian eunuch who somehow made his way into, into, uh, into, into Jerusalem uh, because, uh, because he, he, he reckoned with the true and living God and came to realize that, that, that he is the true and living God. But by and large, they were far from God and from God's people. How Jesus brought them together is really the heart of, of our passage this morning. How Jesus is the, the peacemaker between the two factions. The two factions that are represented, for example, in the, in the first two children of, of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, or Cain and Seth. First, he brings them to God. Jesus brings them to God. It says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who are sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ that our sins are atoned for. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ that 
The wrath of God is placated, that we obtain propitiation for our sins. That means that God, God's anger and his wrath are taken from us because they were placed on Jesus when he died on the cross. Jesus was enduring the wrath of an offended God, offended at our sins, as he took our sins on himself. As he became sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then as God's people, we continue to benefit from the work of Christ by his precious blood, as it says in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as we walk with Jesus in the light, as he is in the light, may I add, as he is light, which is established even earlier on in that chapter, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And granted, the context there is our fellowship with the Lord, our fellowship with the Lord Jesus. But, but implied there also is our fellowship with one another, Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles and Gentiles, sinners from all walks of life, from every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue, are inclusive in this verse. And it goes on to say, And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And that cleanseth is in the present tense, and this is most significant because this is indicative of the fact that not only is he now cleansing us, but he will continue to do so. No matter what the future may hold, no matter what sins you may be involved in down the road, like some of uh, our patriarchs who fell into the grave and heinous sins toward the end of their lives. And yet, and yet, it doesn't change God's love for a David who falls into horrible covenant-breaking sins. And he's gray and old. And that's true of others. Hezekiah, who was a good king of the kingdom of Judah. A fruit of Jesus reconciling us to God was in uniting Jews and Gentile sinners. For he is our peace, it says in verse 14. He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There was a wall in the temple that separated the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple where the Jews were free reign to walk wherever, but the Jew Gentiles were not. God uses individuals. Jesus says, uh, it says of Jesus, he is our peace. God uses individuals to accomplish great and mighty things. For example, when the wall of Berlin came down, it didn't come down right away, by the way. It took two years before they opened the Berlin Wall, from 1987 to 1989. But let me read you something about, about that. On June 12, 1987, in one of his most famous Cold War speeches, President Ronald Reagan challenges Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev to tear down the Berlin Wall, a symbol of the repressive Soviet communist era in a divided Germany. The wall came down two years later on November 9, 
89. Now, actually, they didn't immediately tear it down. They opened it up, and then eventually it was raised to the ground. Time magazine. Along with this wall that separated the Gentile court from the rest of the temple was a heavy curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, the inner sanctuary, where only where God's presence was. So God said, symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant, and only the whole high priest could enter in once a year. And not always was this offering accepted. Sometimes he would be struck dead. That was how holy God is. But there was a heavy curtain that separated the Jews from the Shekinah glory presence of the Lord, of Yahweh. And one day, it was torn down from top to bottom to symbolize how God was pleased with the work of Christ who offered up a sacrifice of great oblation and praise to God, his Father. It says in Hebrews 10, 19 through 21, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The holiest is that inner sanctuary. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that's that curtain. That is to say, his flesh, that's symbolic of his body. So when his body was torn, rent, and his blood shed, it was for our reconciliation to God and for our being able to enter into the very presence of God. And so here we are, in the very presence of Almighty God. It goes on to say in Hebrews 9, 24, for Christ is not entered into the holy place, meaning that physical place in the temple which was standing at the time of his being on this earth. And think about the irony of that, how he never even entered into that, and yet he had every right to be there as not only our high priest, but the very Yahweh himself come in the flesh. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. You see the significance of the type with the antitype, meaning with the sanctuary and later the temple, with the one that is the holy of holies, even glory itself. And he makes peace with us and him. And also, continuing on with our message, he makes peace between us, ourselves. And verse 15 of Ephesians 2. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the hatred, the animosity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Yes, those very laws that were uh, were, were, were uh, given by God, such as the ceremonial laws, such as the civic laws, even the moral law, although that is retained, that continues. Those were abolished. Those were abolished. The laws, the law of commandments, as it's called here, are the ceremonial laws and the sacrificial system which separated Jews and Gentiles. That was a separating point even between them. 
Some of the first Jewish converts, if you recall, like in Galatia, insisted that circumcision, part of the ceremonial law, be like a requirement of salvation, meaning it wasn't just faith in Christ alone, even if he is Messiah, but faith plus this work of circumcision. That would be like saying uh, today uh, amongst uh, those who are not part of that communion of covenant Israel, you need to be a believer in Christ and to be baptized and saved. And there are those out there that believe that. There are those who are relying not only on the work of God, but on the work of God and the work of man. And that is not an equation that you want to go with because that leads nowhere except to hell. And Paul, what Paul says in Colossians 2.14, and I've been reading, going through this rapidly, but uh, let's pause or slow down a bit and look at Colossians 2, verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Because those ordinances, as divinely inspired and divinely given as they were through Moses, ultimately, because they, they only had a, a special role for a, a given time, and, and only a given time until the coming of Christ, especially the ceremonial law, are not to be relied upon. And to rely upon them ultimately would be to be contrary to the word of God. And so it says, which were contrary to us and took it out of the way, meaning Jesus took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So the Mosaic law, as we'll call it, which includes in it the moral law, which includes in it the type of Christ in the sacrificial system, was fulfilled in Christ was fulfilled in Christ. And so reading on, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of the holy day or of the new moon or the Sabbath days. These are all again reflections of a law that is bygone, which are a shadow of things to come. But now we have the body, meaning Christ has come, who casts that shadow whose shadow that is, that belongs to him. And then one more scripture, Galatians 6.15, to complete this thought. Galatians 6.15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new any man being Christ, he has a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is where you are if you're in Christ. This is where I am because of Christ. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for so great salvation. And then the Lord Jesus reconciles both factions by God, uh, to God by the cross. It says in verse 16 of, of Ephesians chapter 2 says and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross 
having slain the enmity thereby. Notice, both unto God. Jews unto God, Gentiles unto God, both unto God. Christ is the unifying factor. He is the key. He is the one by whom all are reconciled finally, by which peace is attained. And we who are his are called ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you, speaking to the Corinthians, by us, we pray in Christ to be reconciled to God. For God hath made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is, this is significant. This is it. This is the heart. This is the kernel. This is the gospel. This is the hope of salvation. And then he goes on to say, for to make in himself of twain one new man and making so making peace. We are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. End of discussion. He goes on to talk about the preaching of the gospel and how Jesus essentially, especially through his disciples and through us, preached peace to those who are far off, even and to them who are also not. And then also that power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, our last verse. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. And let me uh, conclude by reading Romans 8, 15 through 17. <clears throat> Romans 8, 15 through 17. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There's this objective knowledge of the Lord that is very important and those who decry that and say oh no 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 those were those who are of the reform faith tend to kind of err on the side of intellectualism and and and, and being too uh, uh, up here to uh, heavy knowledge and not out of the heart some said that the distance the yard that is the distance uh, from the head to the heart is the longest yard in the whole world and I tend to agree except when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. Like it says here. And also, let me continue. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And when they be together, in the presence of our Father in heaven. So, in conclusion, let me reiterate that Christ has one church and one church only that has been the goal all along. 
He said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he meant it. He himself would build it. Yes, using means, instruments as weak and as sinful as ourselves. And we, be, we benefit from that and be made part of that church. The greatest privilege that we have on this earth next to having our wives and our, and our children and our families being solitary who are put into families and being solitary and being put into the family of God. And I said this was the, that was the last scripture. I mean, I'll quote you this one and you can look it up yourselves. No, look it up now. I have to eat my words. I lied. I'm sorry. <laughs> First Peter 2, 9 and 10. First Peter 2, 9 and 10. Hear the word of the Lord. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar, special people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Trust that having heard the word again, that we would you would all the more and me show forth his praises, who is worthy to the praise of our triune God, to the praise of his glorious grace. So shall we pray. Oh Heavenly Father, do bless us with this sense of thanksgiving and praise that is based upon a spiritual contentedness that we are Lord where you want us to be but moreover that that this is our desire too that you have worked in our hearts in such a way that we are now setting our affections on things above and that includes setting our affections on this which you have purchased with your own blood even your bride even your beloved even your church and to be thankful and to serve her well, and to do our best, Lord, to give our utmost to the highest by giving ourselves to the one for whom you gave yourself, even your church. And, who's, and we pray this, Lord, in the name of the one who is our bridegroom.